How many here last week talked about Joseph? Joseph, what a great word. Brandon did an amazing job. Um, Wednesday nights, the Bible class, if you have, haven't been coming, we've been going through um, some Old Testament or the Old Testament patriarchs of faith, uh, Abraham, Isaac, uh, Jacob, uh, Pastor Destiny did uh, Isaac, that was an amazing job, Pastor Philip. A few weeks ago, did Jacob's journey, and we had a little break with our forward conference, and then we had Joseph last week. Tonight, we're going to be talking about Moses. Moses, Moses, Moses. We got seven hours, as she said, to teach and go over Moses. So just buckle your seatbelts. Hope you got two pens, lots of paper, and a battery um, in your phone. So it's going to be a good time. Uh, I think I've got about 45 minutes to teach this. Hopefully, I'm not going to take that long. But if you do have your Bible tonight, go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1. And we're going to cover four books of the Bible. Again, I'm kidding. We're not going all the way to Deuteronomy. Um, but we are going to cover Moses' life. Give me just a second. Y'all excited to have the teenagers in here, the youth, the junior high and high school, the generation. Can we give it up for our people? Come on. Now, can y'all give it up for the adults? We're merging. God's doing some things in the generation. Uh, if you're asking or curious what we're doing, uh, we worship with y'all, obviously, and then y'all kick us out. We got to go to the gym, and uh, we have a good time uh, in the gymnasium down there. Uh, teaching, uh, breaking up in our junior high and high school groups. And Clay DeFriend is doing an amazing job with Leanne, with our junior high students. And so God's just doing some great things uh, in the generation. And it's, there's more to come. Uh, we're getting our worship band. And so we won't be here with y'all on Wednesday nights anymore. I know you're sad about that. But we are going to start on worship. And so if you have a teenager, ages of seventh uh, grade, junior high, all the way to a senior in high school, and they are not coming on Wednesday nights, that they need to be coming on Wednesday nights. And so you want to invite them, get them. If you have a, a child yourself who just doesn't feel plugged in or not, we have a great leadership team, about eight young adults that are eager and desire to build a relationship with your uh, son or daughter and to help them uh, get to know who Jesus is. Amen? Amen, amen, amen. So last week, just to catch you up, if you weren't here, talking about Joseph, um, these have been like character studies, and again, like last week, Brandon did such a good job taking 110 years and just pulling out a few nuggets, right? Just a few uh, things that we could learn from the life of, jo uh, life of Joseph. And leading up to Moses, Genesis 50 gives us the last few uh, moments of Joseph's life. So Genesis 50, 24 reads, And Joseph said to his family, I am dying. But God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. Okay? And between Moses and Joseph, there was a 400-year gap where the children of Israel grew in numbers, okay? And so at the end of Genesis, Joseph dies, and then we have a 400, 430-ish year period, the date fluctuates, where there's this time where the Israelites, the children of Israel, grew in number. And in Exodus 1-7, the children of Israel said they were fruitful and increased and multiplied and grew exceedingly, and the land was filled with them. And it says a new king, a king arose in Egypt, and the Bible records that this king did not know Joseph. And so a little backstory there. Joseph and his family obviously were popular amongst the people of Egypt, and they grew in favor uh, because of his dreams and what he had done and what he had, uh, his obedience to God, and Pharaoh gave him position. And then his whole family, all of them, had favor for years. But over time, 
the new Pharaoh had no clue who Joseph was and so how popular he was and the things he did just kind of went to the backside on the back burner. And therefore, at this time in history, when Moses is born, who cares who Joseph is? And so they're under oppression because the Pharaoh saw that they grew in number and they wanted to enslave them. And so that's just a little context to catch you up as far as what happened between Joseph and Moses. I know most of you know the story of Moses. And as we go through these Bible uh, people, the people who did live and breathe, and they were real, and I know some people, even though we're in the Bible belt, many of you may be new to the Bible. Some of you in this room may be new to what church, this organized religion, and coming and worshiping together. And I, one thing I just want to let you off the hook and say that it's okay if you don't know who Moses is. I mean, I asked somebody the other day, uh, just a trick question, it's mean of me, don't rock and don't stone me, but I said, uh, how, many, how many animals did Moses load into the ark? Right? Trick question, right? And they scratched their head, and they've been coming to church for years, and nobody in this room, don't worry about it. But I was like, it's, I mean, so many people that, that you come to church, and especially here in the Bible Belt, and you think we all know the Bible, and, and we come to find out we really need to recap and rehearse, and we need to go over these things because there's so many powerful principles that we can pull out from the Word of God and glean from and learn from. Amen? So I love the life of Moses. Uh, and again, I've made 120 years. That is a lot of material to cover. And so as we teach this tonight, obviously we're going to hone in on a few principles, a few moments in uh, Moses' life uh, that I think we can glean from. Um, but interstage left, here comes Moses. Joseph's dead. Nobody cares who he is anymore. The people remember. The people of his, uh, of his family lineage know and remember, and they remember and they rehearse those things, but yet the people in charge of Egypt had no clue who he was. And Moses' three, uh, life can be broken down into three seasons. Okay, three seasons, and he lived to be 120 years, so they can be broken down in 40 years. If you've ever studied Moses, it's pretty incredible. He spent the first 40 years in Egypt living in the Pharaoh's palace, right? And so he was born at the, uh, at the age of three. Uh, his mother placed Moses in a basket in a river, and the daughter of Pharaoh found him, took him in as her own, right? Just a little recap. I'm going to go over some of this. I'm not going to read everything about his life. But he grew up as a son in the house of Pharaoh. Uh, he took things into his own hands, and he killed an Egyptian. He saw to, uh, uh, an Egyptian uh, beating on a Hebrew slave. He took him into his own hands. He got angry. He beat the, uh, beat the Egyptian, and he killed him, covered up in the sand, and walked away as if it didn't happen. Later on, there was another event where two Hebrews were fighting. He broke it up. Obviously, the word spread because one of the Hebrew people said, are you going to kill us like you did the Egyptian? So out of fear and out of Pharaoh knowing what happened, he fled to Midian. So he broke up the fight, fled to Midian out of fear. In the next 40 years, the second segment of Moses' life, he stumbles upon Midian and he meets and he works for a guy named Jethro. Just, just going to say that's a very unfortunate name. He works for a guy named Jethro. And then one of Jethro's daughters, uh, Zephorah, again, just an unfortunate family name. And the son of Moses, Zephorah, was just unfortunate. And I didn't even bother putting that in there. But a bunch of crazy names over in Midian. And meanwhile... While he's there and he marries Zephora, while he's there and he's tending to his sheep, he is a shepherd and he is a father, he is a husband. Meanwhile, over in, in Egypt, the children of Israel were groaning because of the bondage that they were in. Because again, Pharaoh, what happened? Pharaoh put them and enslaved them because they grew in number and in power. And he says, okay, we can advance Egypt, we can do things, so let's put them, let's put them to work. So that happens, and they cry out, and God heard their cry, and it says in the word that God acknowledged the people. Okay, and then back in Midian, Moses tending to his flock. He sees a burning bush experience. It's not normal. He goes and checks it out. God has a conversation with Moses, and he says, here's what I want you to do. He gives him this elaborate plan, and Moses looks at God or the burning bush and goes, well, who am I going to say that sent me? And he goes, I am 
who I say that I am, right? And he goes, well, what if they don't believe me? And he says, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to use what's in your hand. Use the rod, throw it on the ground. It's going to turn to a snake. It's going to freak them out. They're going to think it's magic. But I want you to prove that God sent you, that I am sent you. Says, okay. Goes back and forth, back and forth. Ten plagues hit. Enter in the third season of Moses. Pharaoh finally lets his people go. And he leads them into the wilderness where the children of Israel wandered for 40 years, parting of the Red Sea, God providing manna. Moses slaughters 3,000 men. The Ten Commandments, the building of the tabernacle, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, all the way to the end where Moses dies. And again, Moses didn't get to see the promised land, did he? Okay, he didn't get to see it because there was sin in his life. We understand when we read the word, there was sin in his life, and he didn't get to see it, but he got to see it from afar. It says his eyes were not dim. He stood on the cliff, and he looked across. He died. They buried him. And then Joshua and everyone, all the people of Israel, of the Israelites, they followed all the way into the promised land of Canaan. So good recap. Everybody's caught up on who he is, right? So if you don't know who Moses is, now you know who Moses is. Tonight, I want to examine two aspects of Moses' life that we're going to teach tonight, and I don't want to rush this. I'm going to put on my clock, so no. Got one right there. 709. I want to look at the life of Moses, and I want to narrow it down to the latter years of his life. And I want to look at, if I can follow my notes, and we need to acknowledge that as Moses enters the scene and he's going at the burning bush experience, we have to understand that up to this point, he probably understood and he very well rehearsed in the history of God. God had promised Abraham the land of Canaan. God had promised him the inheritance of the land that flows with milk and honey. And so as we see that God had this promise to his people that things had to happen. There was a, there was a progression of time and there was events that took place where Moses now entered into the timeline. And it's something he didn't even expect. I mean, he was caught up with the history by this time. By his in Midian, he heard and he knew. And even in Egypt, he knew about who Joseph was. And there was rumors. And you had to, you had to imagine if you, were, if you were Moses and you were in that time, what it was like to know that there was a plan of God and that who was going to be the person where all the prophecies where he's going to rescue the people out of Egypt and bring them into this promised land that he promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Who is it going to be? And, and you can see that right here that he, he sees that he is going to be the guy that God promised uh, to free the slaves. And there's an inheritance. And God's heart, when he's speaking to Moses, is to deliver upon that promise, the inheritance to his people. But before we do that, we see that Moses and the children of Israel go through the process. And a little sidebar about this that I wanted to, I wrote this down, is that we see this, is that we see that God speaks, over time to Abraham, God speaks and prophesies that there is an inheritance to come, okay? We're just, we're just breaking this down. I don't want to preach it too much. I don't, I don't want to bore you with a, with a Bible class in college or in high school. I was a Bible teacher for four years at a junior high and high school, so I know it can be very boring, so I don't want to bore you tonight. But I do want to pull out some principles and things that we see throughout all the Old Testament, throughout the all Bible. But with Moses, we see this. All the way from Abraham to Moses, we see that God speaks to Moses, again, a prophecy. So there's this prophecy hanging out there that's yet to come to pass, right? We're on the same page. What's the prophecy? The inheritance, okay? And the prophecy includes a promise. The prophecy includes a promise. I promise you we're going to go somewhere with this. God speaks to Moses. It includes a promise that promises canon. And here's something that we see throughout all the Bible, okay? We see this, that between the prophecy between the prophecy and, and the promise, 
there's a process, okay? Between the prophecy, okay, the word of the Lord that comes on you, that comes at you, that you hear, the one that came to Abraham, now that Moses is getting this prophecy, and before the promise, he got the, pro- the prophecy, he's going to the promise, he has to step into what's called the process. For Moses and the children of Israel, the process was the wilderness, and throughout the whole Bible, and, and the unfortunate thing about process in the Bible is that the Bible calls it the wilderness over and over and over and over again. And there's significant season the wilderness is. We never inherit, and I wrote this down, we will never inherit what God has intended for us if we do not get faithful in the process. Okay? We will never inherit what God intended for your life intended for it when you were 12 years old and the Holy Spirit spoke a word to you. And tonight, I'll just say this, if you're new to Christianity or the Bible or what it has to say and the beliefs and the doctrine and, thought and all the stuff in the Bible, we believe here that God can speak to us. We believe that God can speak prophetically to your heart, to your mind. I've heard people say, I've heard an audible voice of God. I've never heard a huge, booming, audible voice. It's been in my heart. It's been the Holy Spirit, an unction, a move, a piercing, something reminded me or, or just spoke to me, and that's God. And we just believe. We're just crazy. We just believe God can still speak. Amen? Just wanted to make sure we clear that up before we move any further. The wilderness. And throughout the Bible, we see that when God is getting ready to promote somebody, Throughout the entire Bible, right before God is about to promote somebody, what we see is a process. He prepares you in a place called the wilderness. Abraham went through a wilderness. Elisha and Elijah had one. David had one. Jesus had one. The apostles had an extended version of the wilderness. And at the end of that, what we see is the world was transformed by people who were willing to go through the process, not just when it was easy. It's amazing when you read the history of Israel, when you read the history of God's people and the lineage all the way through Jesus Christ and through the apostles and even today, that anytime God is getting ready to promote us, he prepares us in a place called the wilderness. The process defined as this, it's a series of actions, steps taken in order to achieve a particular end result. For some processes that we have in our life today, they can be easy. Right? There's a process for everything. I, I, I'm getting retrained in processes. I do not like processes naturally. I want to go past process. I want to skip the process. I just, I want the end result, right? But for some of us, the process is long. It's hard. It can be grueling. And depending on the result that you want determines what the process will need to look like in your life. If you want a product that can be found Proud, that you can be proud of, show worthy, then we need to spend time in the process. We need to spend time in the process. Sorry, my notes got mixed up there. It's all good. For instance, I grew up, uh, my father, um, Mark, his name's Mark, great guy, loved my dad, but he grew up, when, or when I grew up in his house, he was an alcoholic, and my mom was an alcoholic. Okay, and so many times in my family, they would go through these AA meetings, okay? If you yourself or a family member has gone through AA or GA or NA, and you've been a part of these 12-step programs, you understand that if you're trying to get free of addiction, it, you can't just show up at one meeting, hear about step one or whatever step they're in that night, and say, okay, I got the principle, I got my one-day chip of sobriety, I can go home, and the process is over. That's not how it works, is it? It's not how it works. You got to work the process, you have to work the process. If you're having years and years of marital issues, right? Any married people in the house? Make some noise. I mean, sound excited that you're married. Any married people? 
They're excited because they have one of these, and it's a license to do things you can't do. Just, just saying. Just putting that out there. We love being married. I love embarrassing them, make them feel uncomfortable on Wednesday nights. And for all you single people, God's got a promise to come on, somebody. If you've got years of marital issues, trust issues with your spouse, sitting down for a counselor for 30 minutes over coffee is not going to fix your marriage, is it? Come on, married people. That's not going to fix nothing, is it? Not even two hours, maybe just three hours is not going to fix it. It's going to take time. It's going to take effort, long talks, listening to each other, right? Listening to each other, owning your problems and working hard to be better, right? My wife is staring a hole right through me right now. She knows. We're in the process of some things right now, and I'm learning. I'm learning. We, we've been married for, uh, Brittany and I have been married for 16 years, or been together for 16 years, I should say. We've been together for 16 years. We've been married for nine. Sorry, I didn't mean to prolong that. We were engaged, though, for two years. We were engaged for two years, and that wasn't the actual, the original plan to be engaged for two years. She doesn't know I'm going to share this tonight. Don't worry, I'm not going to go on all the details. But we were engaged for two years. We've been together for a long time. We started dating and getting together around 2000, 2001. And then after graduated high school, got engaged. And then we realized, hey, there's some flaws. There's some cracks. There's some issues. And there was no rush. And we realized there's some godly counsel that it wasn't time just to jump into a marriage for the rest of our life. Let's take our time and let's work a process through this so that we can be better married. Okay, we didn't want to rush into it. So, man, my, the ring set probably about a year before I asked her. Then it just sat uh, on her hand, and we couldn't get uh, married for two, two and a half years almost, I think it was. And there was a, a, a process that we had to go through. The process, sometimes it hurts. It can feel lonely. But if you endure it, you can get through it, and God will see you through it. Amen? If my only goal as a Christian is just to get saved, I promise we're going to get back to Moses, but if my only goal as a Christian is to get saved, receive Jesus in my heart, worship him on Sundays and Wednesdays, pay my tithe, have good attendance, and can't wait to get to heaven, and I say this because this is how I truly think, the greatest thing for me is the moment I got saved to step outside of church, get hit by a bus, and die and go to heaven. If that's my only goal, that's not our Goal. That's not God's goal for your life. That's not goals for my life. Just to get saved so that we can look good, sound good, do good things. No, it's greater than that, and God has a greater plan, and that plan includes a promise that you're going to have to walk through a process of. Tonight, I want to present two questions. Two questions, and I'm going to try and slow this down a little bit for the sake of time because there's other classes going on. But I want to present two questions tonight that we can take away from Moses' life. Again, there's so many years, there's 120 years of Moses that we could comb through, we could talk about. I'm going to say things tonight you've probably heard, and then there's things that you're going to hope that I say about Moses' life, because there's so many great things about Moses. There's so many great things about Moses. I mean, I was really thinking about this, I was like, man, I really want to teach the tabernacle, like the tabernacle in the wilderness is such, it's so symbolic, and I love it when I studied in Bible school, I just, I fell in love with the idea of how God speaks so specifically to us, intricate details of how to do things, and I loved how, and I'm getting a sidetrack, and I may teach a little bit of it, but it's how God just so spoke to Moses and said, I want you to build this many cubits and use these colors and these materials, and it says that at the end, at the end of building the tabernacle, and Moses was finished, then God's glory filled the tent. 
And I love that, those that sometimes it's just overlooked. We read through, through Exodus, we're like, man, we just overlooked this. And I love that because we understand the principle that God's glory follows order. God's glory in our life follows order. And so if we can follow the order of the process, then we can have God's glory in our life. Amen? Okay. Exodus 2, verse 11. We got four books to cover. No, I'm just kidding. Many, many years later, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and he saw how hard they were forced to work. During the visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. We understand what happens here, that uh, he goes and breaks it up. Um, he, he kills the Egyptian. It goes on to say through verse four, 15, says, and surely enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened, and he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh, and he went to the li- live in the land of Midian. When Moses arrived in Midian, he sat down beside the well, and now the priests of Midian had seven daughters who came usually to draw water and fill the water troughs for their father's flocks. I'll stop right there and say this. The first question is this. Are you positioned, are you specifically positioned individually, not your family, not you and your spouse together. There's a measure and degree of that that we need to be in sync. But are you as an individual positioned to receive the prophecy? Let me ask that again. I want you to just kind of roll this over in your brain. Are you positioned to receive the prophecy? Hearing from God is an interesting thing, wouldn't you say? Again, as I said when I opened up, just hearing the voice of God. How do I know I'm hearing God's voice? How do I know God is speaking to me? How do I know through all the voices and all the distractions and all the things of today that we have in this society that that's God that's speaking to me? I was I have a friend. He's in banking. Um, um, and he, I said, man, there's so many, there was all these, there was all these counterfeit dollars coming through. And I said, Hey man, how do you know, how do you know that you're touching real money or counterfeit money? If you have any, if you work in banking and you know, this is what they tell you and what he told me. And it was a surprise to my knowledge that he said, well, when you start and you're the one who's handling the money, what happens is to train you to know if you're handling real money is they just give you real money. And they say, Here's the real money. I want you to play with it. I want you to thumb through it. I want you to smell it. I want you to feel it. I want you to hold it. I just want you in over and over and over and over again. And here's why. Because when the counterfeit comes across, you know it's going to be counterfeit. Because you know what the real thing feels like. And the same principle can be applied to hearing God's voice. The same thing. The more we read the Bible, which is God's words to us, right? The more we're familiar and we become with how, how God speaks. That's the key thing there. If we can get into our Bibles and we can read the rhythm of God's words, per se, and if we can understand this is how God speaks to his people, and we also know that the Scripture says that he is the same yesterday, today, and Tomorrow. So therefore, if I'm in this world that we live in and we've got media and marketing and advertising and movies and radio and friends and family and and your own voices going on up here and and you're saying, how do I know that I'm hearing God's voice? Well, here it's easy. You've got the word of God. I had a friend of mine. He he was uh, we were going to these um, conferences 
And uh, there, would, there would be these prophets, these guys that would speak, uh, these great orators, and they would go and they would just speak the word of God. They would prophesy, and uh, they would call people out. And, they, man, I'm talking about just reading their mail. And it was really cool to be in those environments and things. But he was kind of, I mean, he was one of those guys who was like, man, I'm going to get a word from God tonight. Three-night conference, and he would go, and, and, and kid you not, he would sit on the front row. He would tap his foot. He wanted to be seen. He wanted the, the man of God on stage to just point at him and, and call him out. He just wanted to be noticed so that he can get the word. Or if we had a prayer line, he was a quick to be up there in front and just pray for me. And just, he was very extravagant and, and charismatic. And I get it, and I'm not judging him. But but I asked him. I said, "Why do you do that?" He goes, "Man, I just want a word from God. I just want a word from God." And the the guest speaker, kid you not, on day three, noticed this guy enough. I had asked the question, "Why are you doing this?" And the guest speaker pulled him aside, and he goes, "He goes, I understand. I see you all. I see your kind." He said. And I was kind of with him because I was, was a good friend of mine. And he says, I, I, see, I see what you're doing. And he didn't. He rebuked. It's like one of those rebukes where you're like, did I just get rebuked? Or did he just like love me and hug me? You know, I don't know. You couldn't tell. But he's like with a smile. He's like, I know you're kind. He goes, I know you want a word from God. And that's why you're doing all this. He goes, but you already got a word from God. And here it is. And he went and he just picked up his Bible. And he goes, here it is right here. Here's your word from God. Written and put together over thousands of years. His promises, his yeses, amens, and everything is right there. Read that. So many times we're looking for, for God's voice in so many wrong places. Sometimes we just need to be repositioned. And the way that we hear God's voice is first step. If you don't have a Bible, get a Bible. Get in the Bible. Read the Bible. Study the Bible. And spend hours looking at it because that's how God speaks. He is never, ever going to speak to us in a direction that contradicts the word of God. Amen? He is always going to speak the way that he speaks to the Bible. He will speak to you. I, was, um, I shared this story with our staff, and I think even with the generation at one point. But I, I remember we were in Louisville, Kentucky, and we were having this church service, and the pastor I was working for at that time called everybody into a meeting. And Charlie, we have three kids. Charlie is seven, Presley is four, and Gavin is three. They're great kids, okay? Charlie is actually really saved. Like, she has Jesus come into her heart. As soon as we moved here to Bozier, she wanted to be baptized. Like, this girl, if you know Charlie, you've been around Charlie. I love bragging on Charlie because she just amazes me how just sensitive to the spirit she is and how much she loves people, right? For all of you know her, you would agree with that. Presley she says she's saved, but there's no fruit of that in her life right now, and we just need to pray for her. And Gavin, we're just trying to get the demons out of him so that he can hear the word of God. So we love our kids, but we're in Kentucky, and we're in this meeting, and this meeting is so awesome. I mean, you know, you're in a room where, where it's just, you're, you, we say those, those weird, I know it's churchy, man, it's just thick in here. You know, you're just like, man, it's just, you can just feel God, right? You know, it's just one of those things. And, and you just, and if you're not churched, it's a, I'm not raised in a church, so I started hearing stuff like that. I was like, you people are weird. But it was, it was a thick night, <laughs> and it was great. And so I was, God's presence was there. The worship was amazing. I was hearing all this. But here's the thing. At the end of this meeting, Charlie was with the nursery, and here's, here's the cool thing is that pastor was like, get the nursery, empty it out, bring it in the sanctuary, get the youth, get them in here, get everybody in here, get them together. And the, and, and the environment was actually pretty cool, man. I mean, God was speaking. God was doing something. We were like, okay, this is cool. And Charlie is about four years old. 
maybe just turned four. Now, at the age of two and three, like she was, she learned, all three of our kids learned how to walk, no lie, in the middle of revival uh, in Kentucky. And two of them was with the same guest speaker. And it was so funny. I mean, they, they've been church rats their whole little lives, right? These last seven years, our kids have just been in church, every church. And they've been in more church meetings than most of us in this room because they just kept going, 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 going. So I thought, okay, maybe Charlie, she's seven, maybe, or at the time she's four, maybe she's just heard enough, saw enough, she could emulate enough, okay? But here's what happened. Here's the story. We get into this meeting, this prayer meeting. It's really cool. And she sees this family, this family of fours, a, a dad, a mom, a little girl, a little boy, and they're all standing. And they actually look homely. They look they look like they're in need. I'll just say that. You know, we have families come through churches. If you ever worked in church, been a part of church, you know, during the day we get people come in and, and we want to bless people and help people in our community and we're for that. And I was praying with a lady and her family the other day, uh, two weeks ago, that had just walked up on our, our, uh, in our parking lot and they just saw about the church and they wanted to know more about it. <clears throat> and they had some needs. But you get that a lot in church. And so this family came in. We didn't say anything. We were introducing ourselves. We were talking to him. And Charlie, to make a long story short, I know it's too late. My wife's like, get on with it. <laughs> and, uh, and so we get there to the back of the sanctuary. Charlie's with all of her classmates, right, the nursery worker. And we're standing there. And, and, and she looks and she tells his family, and she goes, can I pray with you? Charlie's four, I, I kind of heard, I was off in the distance, and the nursery worker really told me all the details about it, but I kind of watched it from a distance. And she goes, and, and the way it went is that she goes, can I pray for you? And goes, yeah, sure. And so they all prayed around, the nursery worker, the teacher, uh, Charlie, a friend, and this family of four, and they prayed for him. Now, Charlie is just, she's social. She doesn't care. She'll talk to everybody. When we grew up in Walmart, hey, 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 you know, we go to the store. She's talking to everybody. So she, I, this is no surprise to me that she's talking to this lady. And so she goes, she goes, okay. She said, close your eyes. And she's looking. Close your eyes, you know. So she closes her eyes. She's four years old, and she's like, I'm sitting there thinking, okay. So she begins to pray, and the way this nursery worker told me this is that she prayed specific prayers. And I was like, okay, what would she pray? She goes, well, Charlie prayed for the dad first and said, Jesus, I pray that you give this daddy a good job. I like, okay, all right, that's good. That's a good prayer. You know, I need a good job. She prays for I always pray daddy gets more money. Pray we get an increase and in, in, in bonuses and increase and all that. So maybe she's just rehearsed this, right? Maybe maybe she's heard this. Then she goes to the mom. She goes, I just pray that, that mommy gets a good report from the doctor. I was like, this girl's been in too many prayer meetings at four years old to know to say that. I'm, it's like there ain't no way that she gets a good news from the doctor. And then she prays for the boy or the girl. And the girl, uh, she said, I pray that her, her leg just feels better. Her boo-boo feels better, right? She's four years old. She's praying this, and her language is so cute and everything. And then she prays for the the, uh, the boy, and that and that the boy has enough food to eat that his stomach quit hurting, that they could have food. Okay, so she prayed specifically. Now at the end, and Charlie goes, "Amen," and just looks up, smiling, walks away. Da da da. And this family stops. And this family stops and says, "Who is that?" And she goes, "Well, it's just it's Charlie Tidwell." It's like she's four year old. She goes here. Her parents are on staff. Well, the mom is crying. The dad is crying. The kids are all like, and like they don't know what's going on. And said, "Well, this is so and so. He just lost his job two days ago. The mom's battling cancer. She just went and got tests, and they have no clue what's going to happen. A little girl fell and hurt her leg, and there's internal things going on. They're waiting for the doctor to report back on that. And the boy eats us out of house and home, and we have no way to provide food for him. He's hungry all the time. And it just blew me away. How many know God can speak to us? 
Come on, how many know that God can still speak to us? If he can speak to a four-year-old, he can speak to you, he can speak to me. I believe God still speaks. So let me ask this question again. Are you positioning yourself to hear the word of the Lord? Are you positioning yourself to hear? The, uh, we must spend time with God and in his word and in his presence. Moses was a great prophet. I said, I'm going to tell another story in a little bit. It won't be as long, I promise. But Moses was a great prophet, but he first had to get out of Egypt. Moses, Mo, Moses, Moses had to position himself to get out of Egypt into Midian so that he could live the life that he's living because I believe there was a lot of pride in Moses, right? We see Moses that he took things into his own hands, right? He tried to act as God, uh, metaphorically, before God wanted to use Moses. Moses acted upon himself. There were some pride issues. There were some self issues. There were some awareness issues. And God wanted to work that out or have Moses go off by himself to Midian and live what we would call a mundane life. God had to get Moses out of Egypt so that God could get his voice in Moses. And, and so let me, let me keep going through this because I could go off in a million different rants on this. And I think that some of us tonight in this room, we walk around and we want this, we want this, this mountaintop experience. I really believe, like this, my friend of mine, he wants this mountain every time. I want this mountaintop experience. He's just looking. He's looking. Hey, God, take me to the top of that. Okay, well, let's go to Sinai. Let's, let's, let's get the word of God. Let's go to the mountaintop, and let's get filled with his glory, right, and all these things in Moses' life that we read. But most times what I read in the Bible, what I see, what you and I both read in the Bible is that God really speaks to us in the valleys, that he's really teaching us the lessons. He's really speaking to us in the valleys, not so much in the mountains, Right? So I ask you this question, are you cultivating a life that God can speak into? Think about that. It's a gardening term, cultivating. Are you working? Are you plowing? Are you constantly, are you cultivating a life that God can speak into? Are you positioning yourself for the prophecy? For some of you, just being in church tonight was the next step to be in an environment where God could speak to you. Some of you, your home life, some of you, the situation at work is so, you take your work home. Some of you that are young tonight, you take your issues, you take your problems, you're trying to figure out who you are for all of us, that may be the case. And we don't know, and sometimes just making it into this sanctuary on Sunday mornings, on Wednesday nights, with people of God so that we can feel like, okay, we're in the presence of God. And for some of you, it's just getting here is the truth. For some of you that come all the time, maybe it's not that you, you need to come to church. Maybe you need to take the word of God to your house. And, and maybe for some of us, it's just waking up that extra 30 minutes early every day and getting with God and presenting yourself at your kitchen table with a cup of coffee, maybe a little worship music. That's what I do. I love that. And I get at the table. And I'm like, okay, God, here I am. Speak. And I wait. Are you positioning yourself for the prophecy? Are you in a place, Moses had to get out of Egypt. If he was to stay in Egypt, he would have never saw the burning bush. If he would have never left Egypt, he would have never saw the burning bush. The truth is, Moses wasn't in a place to lead the Israelites out of bondage because he was still wrapped up in bondage himself. Exodus 3, we're going to move on to the next question, to the next part of Moses' life that we're going to look at tonight. Exodus 3, are you okay with this? Is everybody good? All right, I know it's the first time you get the youth pastor in here speaking. Anything can happen, I guess. You're all kind of looking at me like, what's he going to say next? I'm enjoying myself. I hope you are. 
it's an honor. Don't we don't we love our pastors, Pastor Philip and Destiny? Where they just they just can we just honor them real quick? They're on their way back. Can we just take a minute? Can we just honor them if they're listening online? They probably are because they want to. What's Matt gonna say next? You know. But we just love them. I love the fact that they, it's an honor to stand here and actually get to speak to you on a Wednesday night. It really is. I'm absolutely honored by that. Exodus chapter 3, verse 4 through 14 is where we see that Moses meets God in the burning bush experience. How many saw Prince of Egypt? Cartoons. My first experience who Moses was was actually the Prince of Egypt. I didn't read the Bible first or saw the movie. Charlton Heston, Ten Commandments, great movie. How many Charlton Heston? Fun fact, he walked around with a Moses complex in Hollywood after doing that movie. Nobody really liked him because he thought he was the man of God because he played Moses in such an epic movie and such an epic role. Charlton Heston, everybody hated him. Anyways, has nothing to do with what I want to say tonight, but I thought it was interesting. God is consumed, or the angel appears, and the, the, the bush is consumed with fire, but does it not burn up? See, and again, for the first point, Moses had to get out of Egypt in order to see this. And here's what happens. God is speaking to him, and God is getting his attention because he's working this mundane life, right? He's, he's a husband. He, he's got a job, right? He's a dad. He's got a father-in-law with an unfortunate name, and you know, he's just in Midian. He's just doing life. He's just hanging out with everybody, and he sees something that catches his attention. So he says, okay, I'm going to see that. I'm going to go check out why it does not consume and why it burns. And so he goes up there. When he goes up there, he finds out, Okay, this is something supernatural. And so God begins to speak, and they begin to have this conversation after he takes the shoes off. That's important for us to see, I guess. We don't take our shoes off in here. Please don't take your shoes off in here. But uh, he goes up there, and here's the interesting thing, is that he begins to speak to him in such a way that kind of takes him off his rocker. He kind of gets thrown off by this because as we see that, that he goes back and forth and, he's, and he gives all these, these details and all these moments where he is like, okay, this is what I want you to do. Here's how I want you to do it. And he goes back and forth with God. And here's, here's, the, here's the second thing I want to ask tonight. You know the story. I'm not going to read it. Here, here, here's the second question. What is your response to the process? Are you positioning yourself for the prophecy, or in another way to say that, so it doesn't sound so churchy. Forgive me for that. Are you positioning yourself for the word, and then what? How are you responding to the process? Because what did I say? That God gives the prophecy. The prophecy includes a promise, and for every time you read in the Bible that somebody receives a prophecy that includes a promise, they go through the process, and the Bible calls the process the wilderness. Right? I love another, we're probably going to go over this, David, this grow you uh, semester, I think it's 12 weeks maybe, and so we're going to hit on David. Hopefully we hit on David. I'm excited for that. Actually, I won't be in here. We'll be back there, but y'all are going to go through it, and I'm going to hear it. So David, it's interesting enough, side note, is that if one of the greatest stories about going through the process is that when David got uh, poured the oil from the prophet over his head, and he got called anointed to be the king. What happened after that, right? You get a great moment, a great prophecy. The prophet comes and goes, you're going to be the next king. And he's like, okay, but first I need you to go back and just go do what you've been doing and just keep doing that. For real? Like, you want me to go and just dance with sheep and hang out and play my little harp and, and clean sheep dung and just do whatever it is that you want me to do? You may be a shepherd. You still want me to do that, and you called me to be the king? And he went through his process. What was David's process? David's process was lions and lambs, right, and bears. 
Anytime one came and took the lamb, he says, I'm going to go after it, even if it was one, and I'm going to strike it, I'm going to rip it up, I'm going to take it, and I'm going to do everything I can to keep it. Why? Because he was passionate. He knew that he had a giant that he was going to have to slay, and when that time come, he knew that he was going to have to go after the one. He knew the process was important, so he, he processed how important it was, and so for every moment, David didn't have to go after the one. If you have 99 sheep, why are you going to go after, or 100 sheep, why are you going to go after one? It doesn't make any sense. David understood the process. Moses understood the process, but at first, he, I really think he didn't. Here's what, we, here's what I'll ask. Are you fearful or are you faithful to the process? You think about what God's called you to do. Think about real quick, what has God spoken into your life? And you would say, Matt, I really don't, I really don't know what God's speaking to me. I really don't have that, that promise attached to my life right now. I'm looking for that. We're going to pray God speaks to you. We're going to pray God just gives you that because it's something to live for. It's something every day to get up and work towards. But for those of you that have that, how are you taking the process to get to the promise? Everybody's got a wilderness experience. Everybody's got a wilderness experience. The truth is most of us are not ready for the process. Emotionally, mentally, Sometimes physically, we're just not ready for the process. God, you mean you want me to take a whole nation who's been growing and then strengthening into numbers, and you want me to take them out of bondage, right? It took 10 plagues and the Pharaoh's son to die for him. Okay, and, and, and that's what you want me to do. Me, I have a problem with my words. I have insecurities about who I am. Right? And, and, and we're not ready. Are we fearful? Are we faithful? We feel disqualified, don't we? What's God called you to do? Well, God, what has God called you to do? God called me eight years ago. God spoke to my heart. He's like, I want you to go into youth ministry. Kid you not. Kid you not. The first time I stepped into a youth service fully, uh, was as a youth pastor, and I was like, I didn't grow up in church, and I was not ready for the process of doing what God has called me to do. I was very fearful of it. I felt disqualified, and Moses questioned God. He said, how will Pharaoh listen to me? What if the people don't believe me? Interesting. It's interesting. If I tonight handed you gold in its pure natural state, just a big rock of gold, most of you, if you've never seen gold in its natural state, you wouldn't recognize it as gold. If all you've seen is in the commercials and the jewelry stores, what gold looks like refined and processed in a finished product, you wouldn't recognize, you would look at it as a useless paperweight or just some object or a rock and it's really, really heavy. But you wouldn't recognize the value of what I was giving you. But God knows the potential that's on the inside of you. When God looks at you, when God looks at me, when God looks at us, the church, and the purpose and the plan and the promise that he has for us, he looks at us and he's saying, you've got what it takes, regardless of what you say in the mirror every single morning. You get up and you look and you say, God, why me? Why me? I've done this. I act like that. I've got this record. I've got this reputation. I've got this report. These people, how, what, really? Me? No, God sees through all that. But God knows. He created you and he sees the value on the inside of you. God reaffirms Moses and encourages Moses. First, he says, 
I'm going to provide Aaron to speak on your behalf. So he encourages him, and Moses gets that. He says, and then I'm going to actually do something supernatural for you. I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. I'm going to do that for you. And then I want you to know that I'm, you're going to bring Israel out of Egypt by your hand. It's going to happen. And so he reassures and he reaffirms Moses. And let me, I wrote this down, and let me say it how I wrote it. Because we doubt ourselves, we prolong the process and we delay the promise. Because you sit here day in and day out, in your mind, justified and rightfully so, you are doubting yourself, questioning the process, and your response to the process is, there's no way. There's no way. You want me to start a Bible study? I just started coming to church six months ago. You want me to lead this? You want me to pray that? You want the microphone? You want to do this? You do this? There's no way. You want me to go share my testimony? I was talking to a young student the other day. He called me and he was like, how do I do I was like, you have what it takes. You just got to step out. And we, we prolong the process. We, 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 we prolong the promise because we doubt ourselves. God is refining you for the promise. As gold goes through the process to be purified, we too have to go through a process. There are impurities in all of us, and we need more of him and less of us. Amen? There's a process. And the life of Moses is, is, is so encouraging. It's so encouraging because there's 120 years of things that we could pull from. But tonight's main thought is this. If there's a word of God, word from God in your life right now, and you haven't acted on it, maybe it's not time. But I would say this, you need to embrace the process.